Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. 710 ESPN presents The Experience experience. with Laverne Cusack. Where we go beyond the play and focus on athletes, fans, events, and the biggest issues that inspire and shape our lives. Here's the host of The Experience, Laverne Cusack. Laverne Cusack. Developer, philanthropist, motivational speaker, life coach, and author of I Don't Rent, I Rent, a how-to book on creating wealth through owning and developing multifamily housing. Mr. Bird shares his unique business style and approach to life in his lectures and workshops, his uh, core belief of socially conscious entrepreneurship, has stayed with him throughout his 20-plus years in real estate development. The unique perspective has given him the opportunity to create flourishing new businesses from the ground up. Preston is an intentional leader whose philanthropic work focuses on building people and communities. He is the founder of Operation Help, a community-based nonprofit. Over the years, he has supported numerous organizations and communities. His latest social media campaign, The Value Challenge, focuses on kindness and helping others. For more information, please log on to his website, IamPrestonBird.com. And that's B-Y-R-D, IamPrestonBird.com. And you can follow him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The experience on 710 ESPN continues. Back to Laferne Cusack. Preston, welcome to the show. Thank you, Laferne. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Just tell me a mm-hmm. little bit about your background. I have been in the business arena as an entrepreneur for... Um, over 25 years, and I have ventured into several uh, different, very different uh, models of business, uh, but my passion has always been real estate. So I went to college for architecture and civil engineering, and I've always had a desire to do something in the real estate industry. Um, didn't quite know what that was going to be, obviously, at the time of going to college, but I knew I wanted to do something in real estate. Um, I initially, after starting and selling a couple of companies, I initially started in what most people in real estate start in, which is, you know, buying houses, flipping them, um, renovating them, having runners in, et cetera. And honestly, I hated that business. At my peak, I probably had, you know, 30 plus houses that were scattered all across the city. At this time, I was doing this in the Memphis, uh, Tennessee market. And the the margins were small. The problems with tenants were large. Mm-hmm. It took much more of my time than I wanted to to give to it for the cost benefit of it. Um, and, you know, I had a friend of mine who had been in the apartment development business for years. And we were having lunch one day and I said, Jim, listen, this is something that I would love to do. Um, but, you know, I don't know how he said. So he told me, he said, listen, if you have the capital to put a deal together, I'll help you do it. So we did. This was oh, back wow. in 2004. So in 2004, I started down the path of developing my first apartment development. Oh, my goodness. Um, this was going to be in two phases. Um, it was a 200-unit development. I acquired 20 acres for this development. Um, the first phase was going to be 96 units, and the second phase was 104 units. Okay. So 2004 started that path, um, started putting together. He held my hand through the process, learned so much from him, went through the development process, 
by the end of December of 2005, the first 96 units were up. They were developed. I was in awe. I had a fire sale with all of my single-family houses. I, I didn't want them anymore. I said, this is the way. I got 96 houses. Oh, my goodness. Essentially, in one location, the property management company here. I love it. This oh. is it. And so I've been doing that ever since. And, you know, certainly um, in business, as in anything else, I mean, you have your share of uh, of ups and downs. I've certainly had mine, um, you know, um, from a personal perspective, from a business perspective. I've had all of those things. But those things have, have added to my experience uh, pool that gives me the ability to share my knowledge base mm-hmm my stories, my resources to others to assist them in their process. Perfect. You know, that's what I've been doing for the last several years. So that's my quick and dirty I, I love it. story. I love it so much because a lot of people go into bi- are afraid to go into business for themselves and they don't want to take that risk. But it's if you don't take the risk, then I, I feel you won't grow and expand and, you know, become who you are like like you have done well certainly and and i think it's important i mean obviously i think there is a misnomer about business and entrepreneurship and ownership that you know most people see the the glory right they see the end of the journey but they don't realize the blood sweat and tears that goes into that process right i mean Every deal that I do, we, me and my team, uh, we own and have developed over 5,600 units now. And, and, we, and we have those throughout the southeastern region. But each deal that I do, every project that I work on, I work on it as if it's my first one, as if I've never done it before. I have that same excitement and that same enthusiasm about it each time that I go in. You know, I'm up every morning at 4 a.m. in the morning. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm going through the process. You know, I do my, my, my meditation time. And all of those things are the value add that allow the outsiders to see the end result. But they don't realize, they only see me with my cape on, right? Right. They don't, they don't realize the grind that I go to to get that damn cape on. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, it's exactly. tough. It is. It's tough. You know, I've been married for 23 years, and my wife has always referred to my work as my mistress. This is my other woman. (laughs) And she's she's always told me, you know, you give her your time, whether she's good or she's bad to you. And I said, that's all I know. That's that's, that's what I do. And, you know, I liken entrepreneurship to that of an intimate personal relationship. Mm -hmm. And when you think of that first uh, man or, or first time you see that man or woman in your life and you, you see them across the room and you have those butterflies in your stomach. I mean, that's that initial, you know, entrepreneur idea. You can feel it. You're excited about it. And, you and you know, you you start doing the things that, that it takes to capture, you know, that person's attention. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same thing when you're writing your business plan and you're putting those things together on paper. You know, and so you go through this journey of entrepreneurship and, you know, what I've learned through the years of doing this, you have to give it the same intensity, you know, 25 years later as you did from day one, just like you do in a relationship. Because the moment that you become stagnant in it, the moment that you start to take it for granted or ignore it, or you don't check on it. I, I, I call it, I, I reference my work as my her. The moment I don't check on her, I don't see how she's doing. I don't see how is she. she she'll get away from me. I mean, she'll, she'll, I'll lose her. So I have to give her that, that time and attention each day. And, you know, so it's like I said, every day that I go at this, I go at this as if it's my first day in it. And I, I, I have that same passion and zeal about it. I love. I don't that. see my, I don't see my work as work. It's a part of my DNA, right? Mm-hmm. It's a part of who I am. Right. That's beautiful. What I love about what you do is that just like an athlete, you have to like dedicate yourself. You have to have a mission and make sure that every day you are attending to that goal. And that's what you're doing with with what you have right now. And I love how you say it is. It's 
it's the job, but you have to tend to it. Absolutely. You got to show up for it every day, every minute of the day. You got to show up for it. You got to, using that analogy, you have to move the ball. Um, I mean, there's some days that you may not progress as far as you would like to or you would hope to, but as long as you're showing up and you're moving that ball, it's, it, you're going to get further down the road. And that's a part of that process. Um, you know, entrepreneurship as an entrepreneur, I work harder than your nine to five guy. Cause it's not nine to five for me. No. Again, I'm up at, I'm up at 4am every morning. I'm, I'm going and blowing all day. My staff is used to me. Now they're getting emails from me at four and five in the morning because I'm already up. My day has started by the time they get there. You know, I'm, I've completed half my morning and that's a part of that process. I've always been the first person at the office. I'm the last one to leave mm-hmm. um, because that's my, that's my drive. That's who I am. And again, it's not, it's not work for me. It's a part of who I am. It's my lifestyle. So how did you, in the beginning, how did you move past that fear of and, and take the risk into you know, creating your own company and, and buying property? So, you know, one of the things that, you know, I have deduced through the years that there is an innate thing that's built into entrepreneurs that make us a little different. From others. Oh, yeah. uh, now, entrepreneurship can be learned, but some people have it innately where it's just that drive that you all always have. So growing up, my father always uh, told my brother and I, unlike most parents would say, go to school, go to college so you can get a good job. My father's uh, conversation to my brother and I was always go to school so you can create jobs. So I always had the idea of being an entrepreneur at a very early age. Um, I always had that desire. I saw my father being an entrepreneur in his own right and doing the things that he, he did. So there was always that inspiration there for me. And for me, it was just honing in on what it was that I wanted to do because I've always had passion Um, So I knew once I identified what I wanted to do and I applied that passion, that consistency, that drive behind it, that that would yield successful results for me. Um, I never went for my work or my path for the money. I did what I did because I love doing it. I do what I do each day because I enjoy it. I enjoy the development process. And as crazy as it sounds, I enjoy all of the various nuances that go along with it. I mean, um, quite frankly, if, if, if I'm not solving issues or having solutions for challenges, I'm bored. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that process. And, and in what I do, it's different each time. I mean, I, I'm the guy that I like to start a project. I get it going. Um, you know, I want to see it to the end and then I'm like, what's next? So for me to have multiple projects going on at the same time is a part of how, you know, I function. Right. And I, I think that entrep- entrepreneurship type of mind is, like you said, it's different. I have like several friends that are entrepreneurs and, and it's like a different mindset uh, going in working for someone else than going in and working for you, <laughs> right? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And and you know it it, it is. I mean, we we are perceived as as the, the the crazies, right? Because we have a certain sense of optimism that most people don't. I mean, we 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 have to believe that we can achieve it, no matter what. And, you know, when when obstacles and challenges come, you know, we have to become creative and and work through those challenges. So, you know, for me, it's not at five o'clock, it cuts off. I'm constantly thinking about the next step, the next process, um, you know, the next move in my business. So how so do you go about talking to other leaders in the community or people that want to invest like you and how they are able to start off doing that? Yeah, certainly. So for me, over the years, I mean, I've done a lot of uh, mentoring and, 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 and training and, 
you know, it, uh, acting as an advisor to to uh, various people that have been interested in the entrepreneurship, um, whatever their business may be, or you know, helping to guide and direct them um, in in their business. Um, and you know, again, because of the the years of experiences, the the challenges, the the, the failures that I've had, all of those things have played a part and a role into giving me the ability to add value to someone else. Mm-hmm. But like, I've always wanted to buy stuff, but our first time going into buying property, it was mm-hmm. hell. <laughs> like, you, I, you, yeah, I know, I know. I, all the paperwork and, and everything. It's like, yeah. how are you supposed to learn all of this? Yeah, that's why I said it's so important, man. You gotta, you gotta study your craft, whatever that is. And and then you know when you have uh, mentors or, or tutorial uh, tutorials you can go go through and people that can help you, I man. That's so important. It's mm-hmm. it's very challenging to, to try to take something like this on solo. Yeah. Um, you know, as I, to, as I told you, my first experience, I mean, I was, I was with a guy who had been developing at that time for 10 or 15 years. So um, there's no way I could have done it without his, his guidance. Uh-huh. Um, for years, I still um, used him as an advisor. For years, I mm-hmm. used him as an advisor. So, you know, I would call him, GM, all right, this is what I'm dealing with. Right. How, do I, how do I do this or how do I do that? I mean, you got to have that because, you know, like I said, you're dealing with real money. This right. Stuff. Right. Um, so yeah, you can you can have some pretty tough, and I have had some tough deal, particularly back when you know oh seven oh eight when we all took a took a hit. Right. I mean, it was tough. Yeah. It was tough. Yeah. How are you managing uh, with you know rent and COVID nineteen? And I'm sure a lot of your tenants <clears throat> are out of work. Yeah, so we we at our peak had about thirty two percent of our tenants that were experiencing um, financial challenges. Mm-hmm. So you know we talk about those insurance situations. So as as oh. as a company, um, the way that we structure our our, our uh, projects is each development um, is its own separate uh, limited partnership. Mm. So it has its own stuff, its own insurance. It has its own everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's important to do because if something goes bad on one, you don't want it to, to affect the entire portfolio. Oh, so, um, you know, we have loss of business income insurance. You know, I was talking earlier about those insurances mm-hmm. that, um, you know, we've been able to tap into to offset Oh. Some of the the losses from revenue that we've taken because of COVID, but at the same time, it gives us an opportunity for our tenants to show them some some care and concern, and and to work with them and understand and and be sensitive to what they're going through and what they're dealing with. So, it's a balancing act. I mean, there's certainly a business side to what we do. I mean, we, you know, we have debt on these properties. They're mortgages that we're paying. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there is a human side to this that we have to be sensitive to and understand that, you know, these families are going through things that no of no fault of their own. So, you know, we have to, you know, be thoughtful when we when we deal with them. So it, it's 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 a part of the part of the business. Yeah. Wow. And that's one thing that you talk about is the the value challenge. And um, you have it on your Instagram, uh, Preston Bird, B-Y-R-D, that what you what you can do, uh, some of the things that you can do to add to the value challenge. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, obviously there have been a lot that's been going on from a national perspective uh, with race and racism and, you know, all of these senseless uh, uh, killings of African American men, um, and so that that and, and that's a very important topic. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, obviously, I'm an African American man. I've certainly had my share of injustices in this so-called justice system. I mean, I have a son who's 13, so there are concerns that I have about my son and how he moves around in society. And so, you know, that is something that as a country we've been dealing with. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do was to take that energy 
and and say, listen, we're having this conversation and it's great and we need to have it. We need to continue to have this conversation. But how can we take this conversation and, and take this energy and apply it to something that's substantive, mm-hmm. that's, that has value to someone else? We can sit on the sofa and we can sit around the table and talk about this all day. But let's talk about how me as a person, as an individual, how I can add value to your life. So, you know, one day I was actually just just thinking and I, I, I actually reached out to three people and I said, listen, how can I add value to your life today? Not tomorrow, not next week. I want to do it today. And that was the the, the spur, the, the, the value challenge for me, because I wanted to take that energy and harness that energy and, and apply it towards something that was positive, that was productive, um, and that truly um, had the potential to have an impact on the lives of others. And one of the things that you talk about is how you make social media a positive space. And going through, you know, all the media stuff that is online and all of, you know, the people retweeting and like retweeting like negative stuff and saying, I can't believe this person said that. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, I would never have seen that if you didn't just retweet it. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So what can you do to make your stream uh, a positive place? Well, and and, and that's what we're doing. I mean, you know, we have to, first of all, be cognitive of the fact, um, as you just noted, um, when we are repeating or retweeting, you know, things and that we're putting out there, we're putting them out there and there's an energy that comes behind that. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we self-evaluate and self-check the energy that we're putting out, right? So for me, it's I see it as my moral and social responsibility to put out good energy, good vibe, good content. And, you know, we, we it's, it's one person at a time. So if I could reach out and if I could touch one person or three people and, and, and the cycle could continue, they can touch one person or three people, you know, that's how you start to spread that value. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Words are so powerful as, you know, <laughs> as we continue to go and, and I don't want to say get through this, but as we learn and symbols are so powerful as well. I think that like what you're doing with this value uh, challenge is is great because there's so much in feeds today that take away your energy that take away from who you are and take away from your light. So if you're focusing on a lot of the negative, I think you'll draw that into you as well. Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm an advocate of, you know, our, uh, our words have power. Um, I'm an advocate of, you know, positive affirmations. I mean, that that's a part of my 4 a.m. in the morning, you know, when I'm meditating and, and spending my quiet time and I'm using positive affirmations, I'm setting my intentions for that day. Mm-hmm. And I think it is important that we realize the value of our words, the intentions that they set mm-hmm. and the energy that comes behind those words that we put out there. And so we have to, you know, take responsibility for the words that we use um, and, 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 and the energy that we're putting out. Um, and for me, um, in, in light of all of the things that are going on, on the challenges that we're having as a society, certainly they are not to be ignored. Um, but again, I think it is incumbent upon us as an individual to determine how can we add a positive spin and, 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 and add value to all of the things that are going on? And you also are a keynote speaker and you're doing, is it correct, the Right Summit? That's correct, okay. yes. Uh, talk about that and how your experience has led to that. Certainly, certainly. So um, the Right Summit is an uh, it's it's uh, led by an organization called G-Men out of Atlanta. 
Um, it's something that they do annually, and their goal is to have a positive impact on returning citizens from um, incarceration. Um, and so for me, having, um, as I mentioned earlier, the um, unjust experience myself in this uh, justice system, um, it's created a platform for me to share you know, my experiences and my journey um, when I went through my um, um, issues in the, in the justice system, um, but also how, you know, I've overcome those things and how I've taken that, that as a platform to say, you know, even though we go through and face challenges, it is still incumbent upon us as an individual to do the things that are required of us to overcome those things, as opposed to um, uh, giving that power and that energy to someone else to say, well, it's because of them or it's their responsibility. And it's not. It's our responsibility. In spite of or regardless to what we go through as people, we all go through our own life challenges. Mm -hmm. And it's still our responsibility to overcome those those challenges um, by doing just that and, and, and taking that accountability on ourselves and not allowing um, others um, to affect how we um, guide and direct our lives. And that, that brings up the point of when, when people come out of being incarcerated, they are... What was the, they say? Check the box. Check the box. There, there was like this thing that said um, they were trying to pass where you don't have to check a box anymore because that prevents you sure. from getting jobs and you know sure. um, opportunities. But if you take like what you're saying, take the power back into your hands. You're saying through this, through all of the challenges you, you face coming out of incarceration. Through entrepreneurship, you can succeed. Absolutely. And in fact, I look at that as an opportunity for an individual to press the restart button. This is, this is the perfect time to recreate yourself and to become whatever it is you choose to be. And the only way you do that is you have to spend time beating on your craft, whatever that craft is. Mm -hmm. You spend time beating on your craft and you learn everything you need to learn about your 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 craft and your industry, because one thing that no one can take from you is your knowledge and your skills. Mm -hmm. So when you are working toward perfection of that knowledge and that skill base, that skill set then you're able to then take that, and again, we talked about value earlier, then now you're able to display your value. You're able to determine your value and your, your worth from a, from a uh, corporate perspective to say, this is what I can offer. Mm -hmm. And so really, going through that process is an opportunity to reset. It's an opportunity to reassess and to reevaluate who you want to be mm -hmm. and recreate that. Absolutely. Your sports station is 710 ESPN. The experience is now. Here is LaFern Cusack. Preston Bird is a real estate developer, philanthropist, motivational speaker, life coach, and author of I Don't Rent. I rent a how-to book on creating wealth through owning and developing multifamily housing. So, Preston, you said you, your son is 13, is that correct? Yes, he's 13. So, uh, how do you how do you talk to your son to or how do you share your knowledge with your son so he is self-sustainable. I guess 
that's the I guess that's the question I'm trying to ask. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you know, it's it, being a parent is challenging. I have three children actually. My oldest is 21. She is starting her her senior year in college. Wow. Um, this fall, my middle daughter. Is 17. She started her senior year in high school this fall. And my son, you know, he's 13 and he'll be he'll be an eighth grader starting this fall. And honestly, for me, more so him than my girls, um, you know, I have to uh, his mom and I, we have to make him aware that, yes, you are a black man in America. And there are some times where you will be judged unfairly because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but we have to just let him know, you know, to continue to maintain um, your integrity, um, to continue to be who and what you are, and don't allow others to sway you from being anything other than that. And, you know, and we do have to have those talks with him when things um, that we've been experiencing that's been going on in the country happens. Um, to let him know, you know, the unfairness that are behind those things, the 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 injustices that are behind those things, but at the same time, you know, this is an, they, these are teaching moments for him as well um, to share with him, you know, the value of giving back and giving up yourself, mm-hmm. and you know, taking things for what they are. But, but looking at them and learning how you can um, add some value to to that particular situation, even at a 13-year-old's right. um, age. You know, each, you know, so I've had my children to participate in all sorts of nonprofit-type um, activities um, because I think it's important for them to see that value um, that they can give to someone else. A- absolutely. Yeah, my son is seven and he's asking questions, okay. and uh, I'm s- saying the same thing. I'm like, you know, some people may not agree with the words that you say or may look at you and, you know, <laughs> not like you. Sure. But that has nothing sure. to do with you. It's it. It's, it's them. It's them. But it's how them, do you navigate through that? You know, so so we ask him questions like that. So what would you do if... You know, someone doesn't like you because of this or that or, you know, it's really interesting. Go ahead. No, and as you know, LaFerrin, I mean, it's not a one-time conversation. These are conversations. It's an everyday conversation. It's every day. I mean, we're having them constantly. I mean, you know, you got to go back. you You know, what are you thinking? How do you feel? What are your thoughts? How does this make you feel? And so it's not a one time. We're going to have this one time, and we're done. This is this is an ongoing, everyday activity. I mean, you know, we look at those opportunities to, you know, drop these nuggets on our children, um, so so they can we can help them become the best, you know, um, people that they can be. And it's it's ongoing. And you know, parenting is probably the toughest job that I have. <laughs> I know sometimes my son asks me a question. I'm like, ask dad, <laughs> ask That's your dad. Right. Listen, and I will warn you, it does not get easier because they get older. Okay. Because as they get older, then they know more than you. Right. I know. I know. So it's like with my 21 year old, you know, I, I tell my wife, I'll say, listen, she's an adult. No, she's not. This is my wife. She's not. <laughs> I said, well, she is of adult age. We have to allow we have to allow her to make her choices yes. and, and 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 decide. And my wife always said, yeah, we'll do that. But then she's going to be looking for you. That's what she says to me to rescue her. Mm. I said, well, that that's a part of parenting. That's just how it. That's what we signed up for, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so when they need rescuing as a parent. You know, we try to step in, but then sometimes those life lessons are important for them. So it's it doesn't get easier, Laferne, as they yeah. get older. It's 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 different. Yes, it gets different. That's it. I I was um I I I love what you just said there. My so my, my dad passed away a few years ago, and I, I always mention this because it it just seems like last year. But um oh wow yeah. But 
I would call him like for advice for work, advice for this. So I I would call him on my way to work and then I would call him mm-hmm. at lunchtime and then I would call him on my way home. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize I didn't realize it, it was just an automatic thing, you know, we just talk or whatever, but I didn't realize that I leaned on him for so much guidance you know in the corporate world and dealing sure. with people and dealing with certain situations that you know were out of my purview at the time and so for you to be there for your daughters it's just um it's uh it's needed <laughs> certainly and even for me i mean i i i am blessed to still have both my parents um, they'll both be 75 this year oh. And I literally speak, like you just noted, speak to my dad every day, three, four times a day. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, it's about something. We have conversations um, every day. And, you know, so it's 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 like uh, I, I, I pull on him and then my kids pull on me. It's like, you know, we're just passing it, passing it along, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that that as, as parents, that's just a part of that process. It, 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 it just gets different. It doesn't go away. Yeah. So uh, what university did you go to? I went to uh, Middle Tennessee State University um, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Um, and as I said, I was there. I studied architecture and civil engineering. So I always had this this desire um, or passion for real estate. So uh, how, how did uh, being a, a Kappa add to your leadership abilities? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, I pledged Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity at Middle Tennessee State back in 1993, a long time oh, ago. Oh, my. Um, yeah, a long time ago. Um, and it, it was it was a really good experience for me. Um, my, my brother, um, he's passed now, but he was three years older than me. And he pledged Kappa at Vanderbilt University. And in fact, he was um, on their charter line. So the first line that they had at Vandy, he was on that line. So for me, you know, watching my brother, I always admired my brother and had a lot of admiration for him. And I always knew at some point, you know, that was going to be my journey as well. Mm-hmm. So I did. I, I pledged Kappa. It was a great experience. Um, I had some leadership role inside of the fraternity on campus. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, for me, I didn't realize how much value, you know, uh, black Greek organizations can add to your life in terms of structure. Even when we looked at our uh, when we did our meetings, I mean, you know, we ran our meetings based on Robert Rules of Order. Right. So these are things that are happening in boardrooms. So I'm in. I'm in college in these meetings and we're running them based on this Robert rules of order, which I didn't understand then I was mm-hmm. learning it. And now, you know, being a businessman, I see the value of even back then that those meetings had to the things that I do now, you know, in my meetings. Right. So it, it just, it just added a tremendous amount of value to my life. Yeah, absolutely. My dad was a Kappa as well. So. Oh, good man, <laughs> good man, yo noob. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, that was uh, there was this this one post on Twitter. This guy was telling the military to get in line, get in line, get in line, and then I think it was mm-hmm. Franklin Leonard. Uh, he has the blacklist. He says, okay. this guy must be a noob. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The noob. The I... latest, the greatest, right. the noob. <laughs> but... I'm sure you've heard all sorts of stories, uh, noob stories. Yes, yeah. But the, <laughs> From but your thing, dad. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But the thing about it is, because uh, I pledged, a.k.a. and... Just know, just being a part of that community and the work that all of the members do around the world 
to build our community, to, you know, invest in our community, to service to humankind, you know, that's, it means something. And it's, uh, absolutely, it's, absolutely, absolutely. And my, 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 uh, my wife is an AK as well. She pledged uh, uh, 93, as, as I did. Her line crossed in October. In fact, on Halloween uh, night, she crossed October of 93. And then my line uh, crossed in November of 93. Oh, we wow. met shortly after, shortly after that. <laughs> so we dated through college and then got, and got married. So, yeah. So, yes. So we, we both have that Greek experience. Yeah. Yeah. But I think about how... Uh, much leadership skills that were taught do going mm-hmm. through that experience and learning and creating workshops and creating things that are of value and I'm thankful for it you know and absolutely yeah absolutely and I think that as as a community whatever your you choose to do at least have it to where you can take something out of it and add value, like you're saying. Absolutely. Value challenge. Absolutely. And, then, you know, that's a part of even, and you, we talk about the Greek experience. I mean, obviously one of our cornerstones of the fraternity is achievement. So, and a part of that achievement is not only personal and self-achievement, but being able to have that altruistic um, spirit and to add value to the lives of others. So mm-hmm. those are things, as you know, Ben, and um, the Greek organizations. I mean, those are things, community service and altruism and things that we were we were taught and exposed to, you know, even going through, you know, our college experiences. Mm-hmm. Now, Preston, I, I want to ask you about, you know, the the future. How, so everybody is on edge like we're opening back up now uh even though covid cases are still rising um and there is really no hand we have on that like we we don't have a hold of any anyway that is a political thing but um I, as you can see, or as you can hear my voice, I'm kind of frustrated with that because um, I don't want to send my kids, my son back to school, you know, if this isn't, I don't want him to go and get sick, right? So how do sure. we go about embracing the future um, in this new world of COVID-19? What do you say when you, you do your presentations and your keynote speaking, how do you, how do you, um, help the audience see how we can embrace it, embrace the future for what we need to do in our lives. So, you know, and as you noted, I mean, this, this is a very different time. I think very different from any other time that we've ever experienced as a generation. Um, So there are a lot of unknowns that we just don't know, you know, as we're going through this process. So this is one of those, daily things that, you know, with me and my family, you know, we're, we're, we're monitoring, you know, our movement, we're monitoring um, our exposure to places and people. Um, you know, we're not moving in fear, but we are being cautious and we're being, you know, strategic about the things that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, just Just today, literally, my son was talking to me about um, wanting to go um, – on tomorrow and play soccer with some of his friends. And so, you know, we're, we're asking him questions, you know, who's coming, how many friends, oh. you know, and we're, we're, we're trying to assess these things because as you noted, I mean, we don't want to send, you know, our children or ourselves out there and, and, and they become sick. So it's, it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, you, you, you really, we are really playing it day by day. It's a step by step. Um, you know, we're, we're not, from a business perspective, um, fortunately, most of what I do is phone and email. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have the benefit of video conferencing, so we're able to. Uh, my staff and I, I mean, we're we're all working remotely, so that gives us, you know, some 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 advantage points. Um, but it is one of those things that we're just, you know, we're just taking it day by day, really. Yeah, yeah, I I think. What's going to happen is that, well, 
when we go out in businesses, out to restaurants, it's going to be more about how transparent they are, the companies are, you know, how clean they are, what they're doing, the steps that they're taking to, you know, help their clients or have people come in and feel like they are okay. Like, sure, you know, so, and it's not only transparency in regards to taking action, but transparency in your thought process, transparency in what you say and what you do. Mm -hmm. And I see thousands of people being called out online now for whatever they did in the past. But I think now it's just a time for everything to come up. And so we can start new. Like like on your Instagram, uh, Preston, you have uh, a place of true freedom. It will lead us to a place of true freedom, right? Your choices will... Yeah, and so it is, it's requiring us to be much more thoughtful and cognitive of, you know, the things that we do, the choices that we're making, the places that we go. Um, And it's it's, it's actually putting a a greater level of um, requirement on, as you noted, companies and restaurants to be uh, as equally, if not more thoughtful um, because obviously their livelihoods and their business depends on their thoughtfulness, right? Mm-hmm. So if they are not demonstrating that sense of care and concern for their constituents, then, I mean, who's going to support them? So, you know, when you go into places now, you do see that they are attempting to be more thoughtful and cognitive of, you know, what we're currently dealing with today with COVID-19 and and, and and trying to, you know, offer a sense of comfort to their patriots. Um, and that's going to be important. And I, and I think, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I think that's a good thing for us yeah. as we move forward. And, and I think, I think we're creating a new culture with that. Yes. That, you know, there's that sense of thoughtfulness that's going to go into this process of how do we interact and exchange each other. Yes. Um, yes. And I, that's, I think that's so important. I think so, too. And I have never felt so inspired that we are now going to have young leaders come, actually rise up out of this that are are going to, you know, to be the next MLK, to be, you know, the next leader of the future generation. Absolutely. And there's certainly um, hints of that, of the civil rights movement that are going on now that happened back in the the 60s. I mean, we are seeing components of those, those types of activities occurring now. I mean, with, with protesting, I mean, all of those things are part of what has helped or added to moving this country forward, right? Mm-hmm. So absent, absent allowing our voices to be heard, absent putting pressure on the government to, to take action that's, that's positive and that's inclusive, mm-hmm. absent of us taking a stand and saying no more, things won't change. So our society uh, as, as, as a country has been built on the idea of letting your voice be heard, of protesting, of taking a stand, even when it's, when it's, when it's, it's difficult, even when it's challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so that's when we, we see change. I liken this change experience that we are going through um, I mean, you can probably relate to this as a mother ha- having a child. It's hard as hell when you when you when you're giving birth. It ain't yeah. easy. It's painful. It hurts. Right. But but once that child is in your arms and you've gone through that pain and you're on the other side of it, it's worth it. Yes. And you just want to coddle it and embrace it. And I and and that's what we're going through now. Yes, there is some pain involved in change. There always has been pain involved in change. But once you get to the other side of it, there is a net benefit. Absolutely. And I think one way that you're also 
doing that is with your nonprofit, Operation Help. Tell us about that and why you founded it. Ah, yeah, so Operation Help is something that I have done for years. It's my opportunity to give back to the community that is given to me. Um, I actually have a very uh, brand new project that I'm working on now with Operation Help. And as this COVID-19 um, pandemic starts to subside, one of the things that um, my team and I are putting together now is a community redevelopment program uh, to where we go into the inner city communities, identify uh, families um, that have houses and, 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 and that are in need uh, from a uh, renovation perspective. And we go in and actually renovate uh, their houses for them for free, uh, up to $10,000. Um, and so we're putting that together now. I'm really excited about that. Um, it's something that we're actually going to memorialize on video. So, um, you know, we'll be able to um, show, you know, some of these things that we're doing. And, you know, I have a, uh, a construction team that's in place. And the goal is to do about six of these a year. So it's like one every other month. Mm-hmm. Um, make us a construction cycle is six to eight weeks and we're going to go in and, you know, you have a lot of families out there that, you know, have taken a hit from this COVID-19. They've been struggling financially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're living in houses that, you know, uh, uh, need repair and they hadn't had to have the opportunity or even the ability to do it. And it's a part of, you know, what we want to do as, you know, our opportunity to give back to the communities and go in and, and actually do that for them. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and you should you should get your own show, your own. Uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'd be a great show. I'd watch it. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna go in and we're gonna do this renovation, and it is gonna be somewhat of a an HD TV kind of experience because you know we'll do the interviews with with the residents and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, their experiences and, you know, the value that this is adding to their lives. And, you know, we're going to make it, make it a, you know, 15 minute or so compact visual mm-hmm. that we'll, we'll YouTube and put on some other social, social spaces just to, just again, to create um, a positive conversation yeah. of things, um, you know, that, that we can do ourselves. So, that's that's a part of how I'm choosing to, you know, to, to give back and add value. Well, this this conversation has truly been a value for me. Um, awesome. I, awesome. I, I, uh, I, I love how, you know, sometimes interviews just takes on a life itself. And I, I truly <laughs> yeah. believe that whatever we say the right people are going to hear it and um, gravitate to it. Um, So, Preston, you wrote a book, I Don't Rent, I Rent, (laughs) a guide to developing and owning multifamily housing real estate. Can you give us some tips on how we can take those steps if anyone out there would like to take that step and do what you have done and built your own uh, housing and multifamily housing units? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was kind of the impetus behind the book. It was an opportunity for me to share this process. Um, Oftentimes, particularly people in our community, they uh, are not aware of what a real estate developer is or what we do. It's often likened to or or uh, or put in the same box as a real estate agent or broker. And it's not. It's very different. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to do, based on the experiences that I've had, is actually memorialize the process of step by step of how you can actually build uh, and develop and own your own multifamily housing. Because one of the things that I know for certain is one of the ways to create generational wealth is to create opportunities for passive, ongoing, long-term income. Right. And and you do that, in, in my case, through the development of real estate and through multifamily housing. So um, 
You know, obviously, as I said, Laferne, you know, what's what's important in any business is to first spend time learning it. Mm -hmm. I mean, to doing your research, to doing your homework, to understanding your market, to understanding what the need in your market is. Those things are so important because when you start looking at making these kinds of investments, I mean, we're spending real dollars. Right. Um, the development, the development projects that we do range in size from 150 to 250 units. Um, it's new construction. So you're talking about project costs from anywhere from 15 to $40 million in size. So those are significant investments hmm. that we're making um, into these projects. So in order to do that, you got to really, really understand your market. Um, one of the things that I do is um, for, for individuals that are interested in understanding real estate and they have an interest in um, developing. A lot of times, um, folks that I've, uh, I've dealt with have been people that have been in the flipping houses. So they get a, they get a sense or they understand the process of acquiring a property and, and putting money in it to renovate it and reselling it. So I, 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 I help them from that point of their understanding for real estate and transfer that to the development process. Mm -hmm. um, so it, you know, it, it, it's it's I, I enjoy doing it. It's it's an ama it's amazing um, when you are able to uh, kind of see the light bulb go off in someone's mind and, and they get it. Um, so yeah, so the I rent uh, I don't rent I rent book is is really a step by step guide on how to um, go through that process of developing. What are, if, when you started, what would you say to someone that uh, you wish you had known when you first started? Oh, man, there are, <laughs> that's, that's an excellent question. I mean, there are things that I did not learn um, before I, I got into it. They were kind of those um experiences that you learn and you look back on it like, man, if I had known that before, um, there's so many different nuances in the development business and just understanding it. One of the things that I didn't know when I first started this, um, was the idea of developers insurance. Oh, um, that, that's, that is so valuable to have developers insurance. So if you screw up, you have insurance that'll take care of it. That's so important. <laughs> uh, that is one of those, aha, I wish I had a known because oh. obviously going through this, through these experiences, I've had some challenges uh, with it. And, you know, that's a part of the process. Uh, but that's one of the many I wish I had of known experiences uh, going through this process. Oh, great. Well, that's great advice. Uh, Preston, how can we get your book, find out more about what you're doing, and join your value challenge? So the book can be found on Amazon.com. It's also at Barnes & Nobles. You can pick it up there. Um, um, the You can find me on Instagram at Preston Bird um, for the value challenge. There's also a dollar value reward that we're giving out um, to participants, um, and and then you can also find me on Twitter at Preston Bird, and of course on my website at IamPrestonBird.com. Awesome. Thank you, Preston. Preston Berg, real estate developer, philanthropist, motivational speaker, life coach, and author, again, of I Don't Rent, I Rent. Um, I'm Laferne Cusack. Thank you so much for joining me, Preston. Thank you, LaFern. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. It was a pleasure. This is 710 ESP. You've been listening to The Experience with LaFern Cusack. Getting the residents of Los Angeles, Orange County, and all of Southern California closer to their community. It's The Experience with LaFern Cusack on 710 ESPN. 